want to share a little bit um, uh, in the prophetic before I get started, and hopefully that will give you a bit of time to adjust to my accent. Um, is there any, you guys are good with Australian accents, yeah? That's very good. Awesome. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, too good. Too good. Okay. So, I mean, as I prophesy and as I was starting to get these prophetic impressions, I also felt like um, there was a sign in this for Garden Route to just like see an increase um, in the ability and activation of the prophetic. Like you're going to see that. I mean, you guys are already, I feel like I've, in my conversations with a lot of you, I feel like you're a very prophetic people already, but expect an increase, expect an increase. Um, the first thing that was like um, being placed on my heart was this, the beautiful picture of, you know, specifically this area, but it's kind of along the coast as we were flying in. You see the mountain range and you see the ocean. And I just feel like God is calling us back to these beautiful encounter moments on the, on the mountaintop. And it speaks of like retreating to those high places. Um, and we can easily kind of overlook the importance of encounter. When I, when I say encounter, I mean worshiping Him because we have such an honor for the Word of God. Sometimes we, you know, we will only consume the Word of God. But I want to encourage you to get up on that mountain and experience Him. Uh, even Jesus, Jesus would be up on the mountain um, before He went out to minister. Every single day, it says He was up there in the wee hours of the morning uh, encountering the Lord. And we, we, in that Mount of Transfiguration story, we get a glimpse into what his encounters are probably like. But they were setting him up. Uh, those encounters were setting him up uh, to minister to the people um, in that time. And I just feel like that ocean is just like, it's, it speaks to the volumes of what God is going to do um, in this area. Uh, but yeah, Revelation births faith for his call. And there is a large call here, like hearing a little bit from diff different elders in different regions, like there is a lot that God is calling you to. And so you're going to need faith. And so every time you see him, when you go to the mountaintop, like think about when Jesus is there and the, the father's voice is booming. This is my son. And then, you know, Elijah and Moses show up. Like imagine these radical encounters where you're so convinced of the glory of God, that it sets you up with faith. It fills you with faith to carry out the call that he has for you. And I feel like that's what he's calling you guys to. Another thing I felt um, for the whole uh, garden route area is this, uh, this kind of thing, a stirring for songwriting. Is there anyone in the room that has ever had any sort of yearning to songwrite? Yeah, there's a couple. Okay, cool. If, if that's you, can you just stand up? Is that cool? Um, I think it's good to expose it rather than leave it in the dark, even if it's been like a thought in the past. Um, I feel like, yeah, I think what I want to say is, well, you have, you have some, like, like it's already been said, you know, South Africa and even George has been a breadbasket to the nations. And I think of some of these small, like some of the, the songs that we sing in our churches come out of quite small movements in churches. So don't, don't look at the size or your reach as a sign for what you should do and, be, and, and how faithful you should be with what God has given you. And I feel like God's calling us up to these mountain places so we can see Him for who He is and write things that are going to take people into those places. We can't take, like I think there's a reason why when the Israelites marched around Jericho that they had the worship team at the front, that these musicians at the front. And the thing is, as worshipers, we can't, I mean, we're all worshipers, but as songwriters, you can't take people to where you haven't been. And so he's calling you to these deeper encounters. But then I feel like there's actually a grace that's going to come upon you in this next season 
to write, but it's going to take obedience as well. So can, can I just get you to like maybe stretch out your hands to, to receive, like just in a posture of receive. I'm going to pray over you guys. Father, I thank you for these willing stewards, Lord, these willing servants. Um, Father, I just pray that you would fill them with fresh revelation of your glory, God. And Father, we thank you that you're pouring out a fresh grace for songwriting and uh, prophetic songwriting as well, Lord. And I just pray also a release of spontaneous song again, a fresh wave of spontaneous song in churches, Lord. Uh, but I just pray that you would use uh, the, ga- the garden root area to bless the world, God, with these songs, Father. That, that garden route would be, I, f- I feel like I see you um, in that, you know, the, the marching around Jericho, you guys in the front line, and you're going to see yourself as frontline people where you can take people to places they haven't been, but you've been there. And so, Lord, I just thank you that there's a grace that's coming upon these songwriters in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Very good. Okay, bless you guys. Hey, now go do something with that word. I really want to encourage you to do that. Uh, the, second, the second or third little thing that I wanted to uh, prophesy as well. I was going to preach this, but I've shifted something. But I just wanted to declare it. Just because we finished on this song, um, you know, walking around these walls. Thought by now they'd fight. I'd had this, I had this word set up where we're contending for the promised land, essentially, and this harvest. But I got another harvest message that's now burning on my heart as well. Um, but I just wanted to, to encourage us um, to enter into that posture where, you're, where you welcome his call. So you think about Joshua. When the angel of the Lord came, he fell on his face in reverence. Are we still blown away by the call of God? Like, does it still, like, does it fill us with with awe and like, almost like a, uh, like, there's like, we come to God with humility. I was sharing this with someone. God just like dropped this on my heart. We come to God with humility, ready to receive, but then we carry a pride, a godly pride that we get to carry what he's calling us to carry. It's like something we should be, we should be proud in God of. And we carry it with like, I got this. I, I get to carry this. This is an honor, like a king's honor. And so I feel like he's calling us to enter that posture and then recognize that, you know, when we ask the angel, are you for us or for our enemies? The angel says, neither, but as an angel of the Lord, I have now come. So let's get on God's side. And then there's this persistent obedience where they're marching around Jericho. And it's like the first time around, the second time around, the third time around, they're sticking to the plans of God. And I feel like the generational sort of um, manifestation of what God's doing here in this era where we see generations, I feel like that's a testimony to the fact that you've walked around in in the way that God has called you to, and you haven't compromised. But he's saying, do not give up. Do not grow weary and tired in doing good. For at the right time, you will receive a harvest. Here's the key. If you don't give up. I believe that's uh, Galatians 6, 9. So uh, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, don't give up. Don't give up. I just wanted to... (laughs) Share that. And then this will take us into what I'm sharing on this morning. Um, I really believe there is a generational harvest um, for this area. And uh, it's been coming out like in a lot of the, the prayer meetings and the prophetic and in people I'm chatting to. And just again, more and more, I'm seeing it manifested in families as well. And I I met Keith properly this morning, and then Brian, and I'm hearing the, the story of, you know, transition, and I'm just hearing, like, and then again, like, Caleb, the fact that Caleb, like, I, I don't know, maybe Grant in his, you know, <laughs> Grant just 
kind of uh, rigged the whole system. But we know Holy Spirit rigged the system. Um, but what happened is Caleb's here, and his father passed on to him, like, the, this beautiful church, and he's now stewarding the church. Me and Dad are working together. There's a whole bunch of family stuff happening. As Grant, I, I don't know if Grant's share, but, you know, living on site with his whole family, um, uh, where he lives in Cape Town, I believe, four generations on one site. And I feel like there's something being highlighted here of generations. And so I really want to encourage us that this is something to contend for. Generations. God is a God of generations. And so what I want to look at today is the type of people we need to be to see the harvest of generations. The type of people we need to be to see the Harvest of generations. Okay, so you've all heard the David and Goliath story, right? This, you know, timeless story. David, he takes his shepherd's staff. This is in 1 Samuel 17. Um, He selects five smooth stones. He puts them in his pocket. And then the Philistine comes and he's like, is this a mere boy uh, that he's he's come up to me? Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? He cursed him. And then uh, David comes up and he says that the battle belongs to God. And he's handing you to us on a platter. And and then he he swings his sling around and he chucks it and, and it hits. It hits, it hits Goliath right in the head, and he dies, and he's gone. And when we hear this heroic story, often when we read the Bible, we do an interesting thing. We put out, we read the Bible. It's so interesting. Every time we read these hero stories, we put ourselves in the place of David. Like, yeah, that's me. God's called me to take on Goliath. Uh, who, who's your Goliath today when we preach it? Who's your Goliath? Uh, hopefully no one's preached on David and Goliath anytime recently. But I guess my, my question is today, who are the Davids in your circle? Who are the Davids in your family, in your churches that God has called you to raise up? And what's interesting is leading up to this story of David and Goliath, there are a couple of people that David is surrounded by that either hold him back or set him up for the things of God. And I, I want to kind of distinguish these two types of leaders in David's life. There are these B-grade leaders, and then there's like this one A-grade leader. So we tend to make ourselves the heroes, like the David to a Goliath, a Moses to Pharaoh, Daniel in the lion's den. Um, but this is the idea. God is looking for leaders that have faith to raise up David's and Moses's and Daniel's. Can you see the chosen ones that God has entrusted to you? The heroes, the protagonists, we're harvesting a generation. So I feel like this, we're going to look at these leaders, but I feel like there's two postures that we can hold when harvesting, when choosing to harvest um, these leaders. We can either neglect and be a pothole. Do you guys uh, call, do you guys know what potholes are? You got plenty of potholes. Okay. Now, in, in our entitled first world country, if you see a pothole... You're calling, you're calling the local council straight away, like, what's going on? Uh, but you know potholes, I mean, maybe you run right through them, but they slow us right down, and it's like, we're going to be late to work, going to be late to the groceries. Um, but I remember my, my brother got married not too long ago, and um, he was getting married on this big rock overlooking a, a beautiful sort of valley, and, but the winds were crazy that day. And so we had to find, on the day, we had to find a brand new location. And so we, none of us had, like, four-wheel drive, um, what do you call them, like, bockies and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Buckies. Um, and so, but we just had our usual cars, and we just went driving through the bush to find, like, a new place. And so we're all driving in different directions, 
I head down this, this massive, like, valley, and I get stuck in a pothole. And I'm like, I'm going to miss my brother's wedding. <laughs> and I guess it's that challenge of, like, have we become potholes to people when people are heading towards what God has for them, that we're actually the pothole on their road to what God has called them to be? Or, or can we decide as a, a people to become propellers? Now, we took an interesting plane on the way over here to get here from Johannesburg that uh, one of the engines failed before we took, up, took off. So they took us off. And uh, this is a plug, for, a plug for Chem Air. So this new airline, if you're looking, it's, it's great. Looking to get, get a <laughs> super cheap. Um, but they got us off. They fixed the plane. We got back on. And, um, man, we, I was a little bit terrified, messaging my wife, telling her I love her. <laughs> and um, and, and I got, we got on the plane. And, like, like magic, the plane starts and we take off. And we're in the air, and I'm just like, is this, gonna, is this thing going to continue to fly or what? But propellers, like you think about, you know, the, the engines and all that, they, they lift up to like 60 tons worth of steel into the air. It's literally a miracle. Like, how does that even work? It's, obviously, it's physics. But what is, what, it's, it's crazy to consider what's possible with the right amount of propulsion. And I feel like we can take that responsibility as people, like, to consider what is possible with the right amount of propulsion. God is calling us to be propeller-type people. So ask yourself, who are you in a team, in a family, in a church? Who are you? Are you a pothole, a South African pothole, or a South African propeller? Have we become an assistance or a resistance to what the Lord is setting up? So that's the question. And so we take a look at David's story, and there are three B-grade-type leaders that we see exist. Firstly, there's a blind father. Right? There's a blind um, father. Can I grab your Bible? So there's a blind father. And uh, if you do want to turn to 1 Samuel 16, you can. 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. Now, as you're turning here, um, I grew up playing a couple of different sports, some tennis, some soccer, and some things in school. Uh, but when I, on the soccer club, I was one of the kids that they just kept on the bench the whole time. And so I grew up as like a little bit more uncoordinated than most. But I am convinced that if they just got me off the bench, I'd be a way more sporty kid today. And so I'm going to make sure my kid gets off the bench. But it's just this idea that like I, you know, I, I hardly played and I was overlooked and I was neglected. I was disregarded and I missed out on the opportunity of bettering my soccer skill. And uh, we see a similar sort of picture take place here. Um, in verse 6, uh, it says in Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16, verse 6, When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height or his stature, because I've rejected him. Uh, for God sees not as a man sees, for, as, for, for man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and God also said, this is not the chosen one. Verse 9, next Jesse made Shammah, and it goes on. Uh, verse 10, Jesse made seven of his sons pass through, and by verse 11 it says, Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And Jesse replied, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, there he is tending the sheep. So Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him here, for we will not Sit down until he comes here. 
I just want to remind us of this thing. This, it's, it's crazy. When we read this, we see that blind fathers can uh, lose an inheritance of ambitious sons. So when, when you have people around you that are called to be great and we overlook that what God is calling them to be, we actually lose them. Uh, you might see people heading off to try and do things in their own strength, which that also isn't God's design. God's design is for us to do things generationally. Uh, so this, this isn't to encourage that, but the, the encouragement here is like, let us not overlook the people that God has blessed us with to raise up. For me, if I, I've got a young son, um, one and a half year old named Elias. If I turn my eye for just a moment, do you have a week bix here? In, in this net? Yeah. Okay, so this kid, he's, he's crazy. He just, he's, he's learned how to pull open the pantries. And if, and if I'm in the other room and it's gone suddenly quiet, all of a sudden, I, I run to the room, and he's got the, the open box of wheat bix and he's munching dry wheat bix in the middle of the kitchen. And there's wheat bix all over the floor. And I know, like, if, if it's quiet, he's doing something. But what I've realized is if, if I don't have my eye on him, I'm going to lose him. He goes and he just does his own thing. But I feel like God is saying, can we see the people in our midst? This is the key. Like, are we blind to it, or can we actually see them? Um, but I do have this side theory about this as well. After what Caleb was sharing last night about, you know, um, sort of sowing seeds, like this challenge to sow seed, I feel like there's this extra tier below the B-grade leaders, these C-grade leaders, not just a blind father, but a closed-fisted father. And so I was thinking about how David was out tending the sheep, and I considered the idea that maybe the father didn't want to lose the one who was tending his sheep. And sometimes we don't want to lose the one that does our, you know, looks after the setup team or, or is, you know, is on our worship looking after the kids. And we're like, if we, if we use them, we shift them and create space for them to grow, we're going to miss out on what they're, you know, we're going to have a hole somewhere else. But God is calling us to be open-handed and ready to sow people, whether it's to the nations, to churches, into different areas, to move out of the way and be open uh, with what God's calling us to sow. Amen? Uh, so, but yeah, Matthew 10, 8 says, freely you've received, so freely give. And, and it's this idea of like, God has given so much to us so we can, we can so easily sow into the nations and sow um, into the communities. Um, Dad blessed me with a, a thousand rand to cover some food while I'm here over the next two weeks. And now I've just been like, I'll just spend it on everything <laughs> because I freely have received, I'll freely spend, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, but it's this idea of like, if you know how much you have, how much resource, how much harvest you have access to, it's really easy to sow. So this is just this extra thing. Don't be a closed-fisted father either. Don't be blind and don't be closed-fisted. Don't hold these things back. Remember how much you were given, forgiven, set up, restored, instated. So don't hold back. Make room for people. The second picture that we see is this bitter older brother. So this might be you if you're if you see other people growing around you and you're unhappy about it, maybe you're intimidated by the aspirations and potential of those that you might even be leading. There's people you're discipling and they're starting to outpace you in some, some areas. And uh, so then you start to crush and squash anyone that might do better than you. And we see this in 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. I'll just read this little excerpt. Uh, Eliab, David's older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men. So this is David just come. To, to bring food to his brothers. You know the story. 
and uh, to look after them because they've been, they've been at the battlegrounds where they're facing Goliath and they're just kind of everything's at a stalemate. And so David comes, he's sent by his father to bring food. And so Eliab sees David chatting with these men and he lost his temper because David's asking about the war. And, he, and Eliab says to David, what are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. This is the message uh, version or um, interpretation. I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. This bitter older brother trying to hold holds David back from even chatting on being involved or being amongst this, these battlegrounds. And uh, it... it it made me think of the weeds that I have back home in my garden. I'm terrible with my garden, and uh, my lawn just gets, it's just, it's filled, it's green with weeds. <laughs> and so, uh, but the interesting thing about weeds is that, you know, the weed doesn't, it's, it doesn't leave space or leave room for what matters. So it, it, it's, it's a selfish plant. It, it takes the nutrients from the soil, and it starves the grass around it. Like, I used to have a couple of weeds, now I'm very proud to say I've got a lawn of weeds, and I've got and so there's all the grass that was there has slowly died, and uh, and now it's long gone. Uh, but it's this this challenge for us to like believe for the next generation to be better than us, not be intimidated, take from, be selfish, and trying to keep everything to ourselves, but be 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 so excited create room for and be so excited when we see these people growing up in our midst and we see them growing in their gifting and their ability and uh, spurring them on. It's that propeller, that propeller gifting that we can have to believe for the next generation to be better, to harvest them. That is the role of fathers and leaders to have faith for the next generation to go further. Let our ceiling, let our ceiling be their starting point. Why should our ceiling be their ceiling? We need a generation that can stand on the shoulders of what previous generations already conquered. They don't need to reinvent the wheel. Let's not make them go through things that we had to go through. Let's share the testimonies and let's spur them on, but let's allow them to go further than we ever could. You know, it's actually a healthy sign when sons go further than fathers and daughters go further than mothers. How, what sort of world, we're heading for a terrible future if we cripple those around us setting ceilings and limitations as a result of our insecurities and intimidations. Where are we heading if, if everyone has to do worse than us? We're heading nowhere. We're heading backwards. We need, we need to want to see people going further than us. And um, I recently, last year, I think, I handed over the youth ministry in our church to my younger brother. And, man, when I first started preaching, I don't know why Dad left his youth ministry with me. I was preaching heresy. And, uh, <laughs> but the elders would obviously come in and fix things if they needed to. But I, I was leading this youth ministry, and I was a terrible, you know, communicator. I still got a long way to go in learning how to communicate the gospel. But when I handed over to my brother, I was there for the first night that he was preaching as the new leader. And he was preaching at the same caliber that I had the ability to preach now. And I'm thinking, man, if this is where this guy is starting, he's going to be able to rightly divide the Word of God and, and see these young people grow into all that God's called them to be. It's like, how, how terrible would, of, a, of a brother would I be if I would want him to be starting off worse than I finished? 
And so that should be our heart. And finally, this, this third uh, B-grade leader that we see in David's life is this bridling king. This bridling king. This bridling king was controlling old-fashioned. If this is you, you might be, you know, sort of stuck in your ways and have an old wineskin where we want people to do things our way. And sometimes we do that because we've seen success in it. And we try to show people, like, sometimes I'm trying to, I show the people that I lead, I'm like, hey, I did it like this. You, you maybe try it like this. It might work better. And it's, what we're doing is we don't even realize it. We're trying to help, but we're bridling this generation. We're holding them back. You know, when you read this scripture in 1 Samuel 17, verse 38, we see there's a heart of a worried king. There's good intentions. There's actually good intentions. It says that Saul outfitted David as a soldier in armor. He put his own bronze helmet on his head and belted his sword on him over uh, the armor. David tried to walk, but he could hardly budge. Couldn't even move. It was bridled. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And he took it off. This bridling king brings about like a, it, like when, we're, when we bridle people, we're like a belt that doesn't fit anymore. There's good intention, but it's actually not helping. Um, it's no longer helpful and it's uncomfortable. And I think about mum and dad back home in our church in Sydney. Mum and dad are such a testimony, and there's many testimonies here of this same sort of culture, but a testimony of allowing people to come through, and uh, we, we celebrate unity in diversity, and, and we fight the, the cookie-cutter temptation where we want to see people uh, cut just like us, and we allow them to grow into all that God's called them to be. Still fulfilling the mission, there is, you know, as we fulfill the mission, there's space for variation and methodology as long as we're fulfilling the mission. And so I've never been forced to minister the same way or, or tick the same boxes, but we, we're looking and we're pursuing the same king. And so that's what's, what's key. So check your heart, your language, your faith. If you're, um, if you're thinking things like this, um, you got to do it my way. It's my way or the highway. Um, or if you're often uncomfortable around different things, different people, or Maybe you might even be unaware um, of your objection to alternate strategies. You might have to ask for feedback. But just check your heart. Check your language. Check your faith. Check, check your attitude towards people that are growing up around you. And uh, don't miss out on the harvest because you're unintentionally becoming a resisting force to what the Lord is giving you. Because the Lord is giving us a generational harvest. So those be great leaders. Don't be a blind father. Don't be a bitter older brother. Don't be a bridling king. But this is what God is calling us to be. He's calling us to be this A-grade harvester. And I feel like the, the, the one uh, figure that we see, at least in this excerpt, that's propelling David is the prophet Samuel. Samuel the prophet. And, and firstly, he has faith to hear what the Lord says. It's faith to hear what the Lord says. That's in contrast to the bitter older brother whose insecurities were too loud to hear God present in David's ambitions. Secondly, we see that uh, the prophet uh, Samuel, he has faith to see what the Lord sees in contrast to the blind father that overlooked his son. And finally, we, we see that he also has faith to release, to anoint in contrast to the bridling king. We see this contrast through the whole thread. All these leaders where, where David, it's interesting how there were three significant uh, groups of people in David's life that 
that could have been potholes to his, in his journey toward fulfilling what God had for him. But it just took one, one obedient, faith-filled propeller to propel him into all that God had for him. One faithful, faith-filled harvester to bring in a generation. And, and so why is this important? Why is it important to be, to, to be propelling? It's because generations raise generations. It's because harvesters can harvest harvesters. And we must be intentional about going after the generational inheritance that the Lord has set out before George. There is a generational inheritance, and we've seen it before. But the generation doesn't end with us. It continues forward. And we want to see, we want to see all saved. You know, the, the, the Bible says that it's the will of the Father that all shall be saved. So it's not over. The mission is not complete. And so we're going after this thing. And you know what? We need all the help we can get. So as fathers and as brothers and as kings, let's look for the people in our spheres. Let's look for the people around us. Let's start blowing wind in their sails. Let's blow what Christ has called us to blow into them, the prophetic utterances of who they're called to be in Christ. And let's see them set up for His purposes and His calls. Amen? So I'd encourage you as I, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to close now. I might pray for you guys, but um, just take a moment to, to honestly grade yourself. Consider maybe some of the, the ways that you struggle when people are growing around you. Have you be, allowed insecurities to compromise your ability to raise Davids? You know, insecurities. Have you become blind, bitter, or bridled at harvesting people? If so, how can you overcome these shortcomings and take steps to becoming a father, mother, brother, sister who hears, sees, and releases what the Father in heaven does? And I, think, I, think, I really think it's as simple as following what Samuel did. Faith to hear what the Lord says, faith to see what the Lord sees, and then faith to release.